0: Speaks is a fundamentalist Christian church, founder and pastor, Carl Stevens. Let me intimidate you from the pulpit. Don't you say a sentence, not a sentence, not a line. Don't presume or you'll die. How much did you give? Oh, about 7
1: million. All
0: the messages of Pastor Stevens. I was guaranteed that angels would come every time I preach the truth it's just lie after lie they're trying to divide us from each other but they're not going to do it as long as i'm pastor because i know how to handle them because i'm god's man
2: hello hello friends hi hello it's us welcome back to our podcast children of greece um, today, we're going to start telling a little of our stories, um, so trigger warning, there may be some content regarding emotionally, emotional, um, verbal, possibly physical abuse, um, so please take care when listening, um, and if we come across anything else, we'll try to give a little warning before we go into that as well, but that's all I can think of off the top of my head. How about you, Karen? Uh, you know, just general mental health. That too. All those
1: things, that too.
2: So because I'm the oldest, I get to go first. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to tell my story a little bit of it. And Karen's going to ask me questions um, along the way as they come up. And
1: actually, before you start, I was thinking, it might help to mention... This is kind of a story in two parts in two different ways. Um, We have GGWO, the overall cult, but we didn't grow up in Baltimore where they ended up. We grew up at TBS where they started out. um, And that's in Maine. And at the same time, we have her story and my story, which are
2: about a decade apart. So we have
1: got layers. Lots of layers. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead.
2: So this is the start, just the starting point of unpacking all those layers. Yes. Um, so my starting point starts back um, in the 80s. I am an 80s baby. Um, I actually was not born in Maine. I'm the only one of my sisters that was not born here. I was actually born in Lennox, Massachusetts. Um, and my parents moved up here when we were when I was a baby. Um, so I I consider myself a Mainer. Most true Mainers would technically not consider me a Mainer, but oh well. (laughs) I was a baby. I had nothing to do with it. Um, So I grew up kind of in a little bit of a different time. Um, We have quite a few memories of growing up on this really big property, Um, some of which are really, really great, some of which are not. Um, But I remember... (laughs) I want to say since a lot of this has to do with our time growing up and also um, situation in our home, I want to say I don't remember how old I was, but I was little and I was sitting in our living room with another sister and we were coloring and my parents were having an argument. Um, and by that, I mean that my dad was screaming at my mom um, and I think she was just desperately trying to um, get things back to a calmer place um and i remember even then as a little kid like we had a conversation about where we would go if our parents got divorced like who would go with which parents where would we go which i mean i i I couldn't have been more than like seven maybe like i was little um that's not normal like now looking back that's not normal but when you grow up and that's all you know, that's all you know. Um, And to me, you know, things being a little chaotic or a lot chaotic at home, um, mainly due to my dad's anger issues. That was normal to me. Um, Completely normal. Um, But my dad also was a very, very talented pianist.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And so he was very in demand. He played for like every service he got get called away to practices a lot. He'd get calls at the last minute. Like we'd be sitting at the dinner table and somebody would call and want him to come do this or do that or whatever. Like I remember that being very, very common. That Like we were interrupted a lot um, in our family life. And we were at church all the time. Yes. Yes. It was like three services a week. Yeah. Sunday morning, Sunday night. And then Thursday Thursday night. And then after that, they'd
1: have frapp sessions too.
2: I was gonna say that like afterwards on I think like Sunday nights, I think, yep. was rap sessions, which <laughs> I remember this is kind of funny, but when I was a kid and they first started doing those, the only rap I knew about was like rapping presents. And so when they started announcing rap sessions, at first I was all excited. I was like, Oh good, we're gonna get together and we're gonna wrap gifts. Like I really honestly had no clue what they were talking about. It was <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> Which was kind of funny, but it was basically where you'd kind of get together and you would talk some more about whatever topic the pastor talked about or like sometimes it would be topics that perhaps there was a bee in the bonnet about. It was like a continued lecture
1: with some questions and answers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A little more um, audience participation than a regular service. Yeah. Um, And you you could buy popcorn. Yeah, sometimes you could, but yeah. <laughs> I think actually legitimately we could Yes, that popcorn. was the best part. Yeah. <laughs> At one point. That was the reason I wanted to yep, go. Yep.
1: So but, I wanted that popcorn. Sit back and watch a cow. we eat your popcorn. <laughs> I think I got someone to give me some for free one time. I won't name oh, any that's names. Funny.
2: There were nice people though, too. There were people that probably would have given it just for free. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. So like that was kind of our life. Like dad had a lot of music rehearsals um we went to church three times a week we lived in the church i mean i don't remember as kids we got to go to raps very often because they were kind of late we'd have school and whatever so i don't i feel like we it wasn't until i was older that that was more of a thing in my life for me personally um but what i do remember is always feeling like because dad was so involved in music that the only way that I could get love and attention from him as if I learned to be good at music. (laughs) And I worked so hard. Oh, my gosh. I worked so hard. I remember, and you're going to remember the story because I actually told it at dad's funeral. But I remember sitting on a school bus seat and a bunch of musicians, including dad, had gone somewhere in New England. I think it might have been somewhere up in Maine, but it was in New England. And we were coming home and it was dark out and dad and I were sitting on this bus seat because I had gone with him and he was trying to teach me to harmonize. So Jesus loves me. And I didn't know what he was talking about when he said harmonize. Like, I just thought he wanted me to sing along. Like, I didn't understand what harmony was. How old do you think you were at that time? Ah, uh, I want to say I was under 10. So maybe somewhere between like eight and 10. Yeah, what kid that age knows what harmonizing is? Like, what? Well, and he's trying to, like, sing the melody and then sing the harmony so that I can understand what he's trying to do. But first of all, <clears throat> our dad was definitely not the vocalist that he was, the pianist.
1: No, no he was not. <laughs> a little rough. <laughs> a little rough.
2: <laughs> and I mean that
1: kindly. <laughs> uh, verging you. on tone deaf, and I mean that literally. <laughs> um,
2: But he was definitely a better pianist by far. So... And he was getting frustrated with me because I couldn't figure out what he was telling me to do. So I couldn't do it. Like I was just singing along to Jesus Loves Me, probably just singing the melody because he was getting mad that I wasn't harmonizing with them. Right. And that's probably one of my, my earliest memories of dad with music. And it's not a good one. <laughs> like, no. It's it was a terrible starting point because I so desperately wanted to get it right. <laughs> Because the people that dad thought were talented or that were musically gifted were the people he spent time with. And so in my mind, I had to figure this out so that I could also garner some of his attention and his time. Um, and so I worked really hard at it. Um, and I sang like when we were when I was a teenager, there was a teen choir. I sang in that. Everybody had to. Um, I mean, we I had to do it. I, yeah. And I love music. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's my favorite. It's my favorite language now. Like, I'm one of those weirdos that if I could live in a musical, I'd be very happy. Oh my God. <laughs> but for a long time, like, it just became a thing that I couldn't do good enough. Like, when I was in third grade, I think I had a piano teacher and I was taking piano lessons. And then that teacher moved away. And I remember mom asked dad. If he would teach me to play piano, like I I had the books at that point. I just needed someone to teach me. And you have to understand, like our dad could play by sheet music, but he mostly played by ear. And that's by choice, I think a lot. And I get it. Like sheet music can be boring to me, too. Like I get very frustrated. I yeah. like all the symbols and whatever sometimes get overwhelming to me. Um, But I mean, we're talking simple kids, piano books. We're not talking or- orchestral music by any means. Mm-hmm um i mean he couldn't even explain what a melody
1: yeah. was so i don't okay. i don't think okay. he was a good teacher in general <laughs> yeah
2: well he didn't have the patience to teach no. So there's that but like he said no and which was probably for me a good thing but then like a couple months later somebody else at the church wanted dad to teach their kid piano their kid was maybe a year older than me and he said yes and I remember that was a big sticking point, but all between my, our parents, but also like, I felt like I wasn't good enough. Oh yeah, it's a giant F you. Yeah, like, she you'll teach her, but you won't teach me. Like, do you not think, like, I couldn't figure out if it just wasn't that I wasn't good enough or that he just legitimately didn't want to spend time with me, I, I really didn't know. We
1: never would have been good enough for him. I think he wanted it. I mean, if we're being really honest with ourselves, he wanted a son he got four girls. So,
2: well, that's a whole
1: other, that's a whole other can (laughs) of words for another podcast episode. He never would have been for real. He never would have been happy with us no matter what we did.
2: He could be a perfect singer, Alina, and he probably never would have. I don't know. It was just hard. And so when I couldn't get his attention, like I learned to get attention and praise by meeting the expectations around me in the situation that we were in. So like I came to a point where unknowingly I equated the praise I would get from quote unquote being the good girl and meeting other people's expectations with love because that's all I knew was, okay, if I do something right and it makes you happy and you express happiness to me, that must be what that is. And so I spent so much time, oh my gosh, so much time up until I was about 17, 18 working so hard to meet everyone's expectations and just fly under the radar, do what I was supposed to do. Like I, and not to say I didn't enjoy everything I did. Like I would when I was a teenager, I was a secretary on one of these Sunday school buses. And I loved that position. It was fun, but um, we, They used to have a fleet of buses, and then at some point, I think the buses were sold and they contracted with a local bus company, and we would go out and we would pick up kids from other communities. Mm -hmm. I remember that. A lot of them would be kids from underprivileged locations. Yep. Um, Not all, but a lot. Of course. Um, And we would pick them up and bring them to church at Sunday school, and then we would bring them back and for me that was fun i mean you know the kids loved having somewhere to go that was different than their everyday life and i had somewhere to be outside of our house (laughs) that wasn't a war zone that i got a lot of praise for doing so it worked out well for me (laughs) right you know um so i mean and and i did enjoy it like i can't i I can't sit here and say that it it was terrible it it wasn't (laughs) you know um especially but it's funny what? Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: It's funny that you bring up the, the like the fear of failure or not wanting to be good enough because we we had very different experiences growing up. But I was just talking to my fiance half an hour ago about how I just never feel like I'm good enough and I don't
2: know why I'm like that. Of course, I know why I'm like that because we were conditioned to be like that. Absolutely. You know, we were conditioned to be quiet and do what we were told. You know, like I. I went to Bible college. And at this point, you have to understand, like, first of all, Bible college was pretty much where a lot of kids were funneled to. And it was in Baltimore at that point. And I had been to like, they had what would are called junior-senior weekends, where if you were a junior or senior, you could come down either with a group from your church or on your own or however, and um, you could take a few, sit in on a few classes. You could get to know the campus. They would, you would go out and do things um which some of them were fun some of them like oh my gosh we would go go what they do what they called soul winning where you would basically go out and you would go out in pairs or trios and you would walk up to total strangers and tell them about god which you know i'm not knocking telling people about god but it was terrifying terrifying yep. Even in my own community to walk up to a total stranger and be like, hey. Oh, yeah. Much less like in inner city Baltimore. I'm sure. Like, oh, my God. I would always like kind of hang back and let somebody else lead because I was scared. Was this when you were, were you underage? Like you were junior or senior? Yeah. I would have been 16, 17. That's
1: horrifying. Oh, my God.
2: I mean, we always had an adult. We always had an adult in our small group. So, like, we were never without an adult. Still, still, though. I didn't know about yeah. that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, we used to, like, it, it's not like I didn't know what the situation was down there. I didn't know what I was getting into, but that that was the only expectation I had for myself because that was the expectation everybody had for me. And that's what everybody did. So, that's what I was going to do, like, that was going to be my thing. And at that point, my relationship with dad had really deteriorated. Like, I just had had enough. I was sick and tired of people coming up to me and telling me for our life must be. And, you know, we had... I I think the word, the word... I know the word perfect was thrown in there sometimes. Like, people are like, oh, your life's so perfect. Your, your dad's so talented and this, that, and the other thing. And, like, that had been my whole life. And it, because... A lot of people who would come to our church who knew our parents way back when, like I would have people I didn't know. Yep. <laughs> We'd like walk up to me and be like, Oh, I remember you. I changed your diaper. And I'd be like, Oh, oh.
0: okay. Thanks. Thanks.
2: <laughs> I, I actually made it a point at one point, like along the way, that anytime there were guest people there that might potentially know me from when I was little, little, that I would stay with dad. Solely so that if somebody said something to me, I could be like, tucked on his sleeve and be like, who is that? So, well, it's smart. <laughs> you know, So, but, uh, but by the time I got to be like a senior, I was so sick and tired of pretending. Yeah. yeah. And you have to understand, like, we were conditioned. One of my least favorite uses of scripture is the scripture where it talks about love covers a multitude of sin. Ugh. Because it was taught to us as love covers up a multitude and of sins. And you have to forgive. And that's not what that scripture means. That is 100% not what that means. And I'm not going to pretend to be a theologian, but I can read. And that word up is not in that verse. And no, no, no. And it's, it's
1: the opposite, really, of what Jesus would want, I, I think. I'm pretty sure he doesn't want you to abuse your family. I feel like that's a thing.
2: Well, I mean, he called people out, like on the carpet in the Bible like you see in the in the New Testament, like he wasn't shy about calling things what they were. Right. But he also there was grace for people that turn around and stop doing those things, you know what I mean?
1: You mean when you repent and change your behavior?
2: Yeah. And I'm just going to be straight up honest, my dad never changed his behavior. And no. No, no. and it was progressively worse. Um There were fights all the time. Um, Most of the time, it was him being upset with us. Most of the time for things we didn't even know, or if we did know, it was ridiculousness. Like there was a night mom was at work and one of our siblings was jumping on my bed. I was not even in the room. I was actually in the kitchen with dad, was not even in our bedroom (laughs) and didn't know anybody was jumping on my bed and they fell off and they hurt themselves and dad yelled at me and got mad at me because it was my bed. Yeah, it's never his. He shouldn't be watching the children. Well, (laughs) I mean how am I supposed to know I'm in the same room you're in? How come you didn't know? (laughs) know? That's what I'm saying. Like, It's not your responsibility to make
1: sure that other people that are your siblings are behaving themselves. That's the adult in
2: a situation. He's the parent. You know, but he probably had something he was working on because he typically did. You know, like or watching NASCAR. Oh my word!
1: they are making a left turn. Oh, I swear, <laughs> I hate NASCAR to this day. I can't stand it. Uh, side note on that. N-
2: no shade on NASCAR, but side note on that though, he loved it because he grew up near a racetrack. That I did wonder makes sense he did like and I he that's one of the very few things he ever told me about growing up huh oh um yeah it's one of the very few things and it was something he really enjoyed it actually in talking to somebody that knew him um earlier this year that kind of came into my life out of the blue um that I guess a lot of the kids when he was at high school they used to go volunteer at the racetrack and he Often did that, so like he spent a lot of time at the racetrack where he grew up. I did not know that. So I think that's why he, he was so big into it.
1: I think all he ever told me about his childhood was that he was raised in a certain place in New York and then moved to Texas. I think yeah. that's all he
2: ever told me. The racetrack was in New York.
1: I had not even thought about yeah, that. Yeah, and
2: it was a NASCAR track. It was like a real, real deal. Huh. Like I remember, and I think it was because we were watching a race one time from that location, and I don't want to say because I don't want right. to, um, You know, give away too much here, but um, and he was he was telling me, and like he was pointing things out that he remembered. Like it was one of the few times that like he actually sat down and it was like a normal conversation with a parent. <laughs> well,
1: that's because of something he liked, and to try, like to tie this back into what we've been talking about this whole time, if. If he was doing something he wanted to be doing and you interrupted that, problem. Yeah. But if you just went with the flow and did what he wanted to do, that was fine most of the time. Unless you were annoying
2: or breathed wrong, you know, it's fine. Yeah. No, I totally agree. That's just how it was. Like, it was always going to be on his terms. And I spent a lot of time in my life wanting to be good enough for him to like me and to love me and to want to spend time with me and to be a dad to me and i don't know if i mean to a point it's choice but i don't know how much of that is potentially him not having the first clue how to do that i don't know and i'll never know yeah probably both um but i do know that by the time i was old enough where i was going to go to bible college (laughs) which was wild because here i was grew up in this little sheltered location um, in this small town, I didn't have a license. I'd never really been outside our bubble other than like, you know, an occasional trip to Boston or we would go visit family. But even those locations like really weren't inner city life. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and here I was, I was going to go down to Bible college and I was going to get a job and I was going to figure out how to get around with no car, no license in the middle of the city. Like, Looking back, it was insane.
1: Yes. And what's more <laughs> insane is that they they expected multiple teenagers to be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? It was basically everybody fed in. Like, you know. Well, the amount that they insulate you and then to have you go out like that is like... Yeah. It's crazy. Well, that makes no sense.
2: But I remember the night before I left looking at dad and saying, when I leave here, you're not my father anymore. Like, I want nothing to do with you. You've been awful. You've been a jerk. Everybody thinks you're wonderful and you're not. And I want to be my own person. I don't want my whole identity tied up in this person that, you know, everybody thinks is one thing and is not. Like, I just, I don't want it. And so when I leave here, like, that's, we're done. Like, I don't, I'm not going to be identifying myself as your kid. That's it. Like, we're done.
1: I had no idea you did that. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I like laid into him. I was really upset at that point because, like I had alluded to, like we spent so much, like from the time I was young to this point, we didn't talk about it. We weren't allowed to talk about it. Like it was taboo to talk about it. Like there was legitimate abuse happening in our home. And like even my best friends didn't know. Like it's wild. I actually told a couple of them this year. And they were so stunned. And they didn't live in the building, so I totally get it. Like, they wouldn't have had a way to know. That makes sense. You know what I mean? And I don't blame them for not knowing. They couldn't have known, and I've told them that. But, like... Even if they did,
1: they couldn't have done anything. Right. Like, what were they going to do? The entirety of the church staff knew
2: and did nothing. So what's a child going to do? I mean... I won't ever sit here and say they did absolutely nothing. But what they did do was not appropriate for the situation, for sure. (sighs) You know, like there are situations that. The only real appropriate action would be a licensed therapist or counselor or the police. And this was definitely one of those situations. And they instead they shuffled our parents from pastor to pastor. And I'm sorry, but. Most pastors aren't qualified in the kind of therapy that our dad and our family needed.
1: Well, no, and it also gets to a point where a therapist is not enough prison. Like, you should be in prison. Yeah. Some of the things that he did, it, police, police seem to be involved yeah. now.
2: But, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you know, the appearances were it. Like, they needed a piano player and they loved having him. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, I enjoyed hearing him play. Oh, yeah. I always did. I still do. Like, I was recently listening to some clips of him playing and, you know, it does make me nostalgic. And I do miss watching him play because he was a genius at the piano. But being super... It it really baffles me, too. Being super talented does not equal being a great human.
1: No. And I can never understand how something so beautiful came from someone so
2: twisted. Yeah. What? Well, I, I guess I don't understand, like... People who will say to this day, like, he was such a great man because they equate the talent with the person. And that's not, those are two very different things. Well,
1: and he was also very charming when he wanted to be.
2: Oh, for sure.
1: I'm sure he seemed like a great person to literally everyone besides us because they didn't have to live with him. Well, that's that's true. But that's a hallmark of abusive people. So Right, you
2: know. right. Like the, the person that they got was very different than the person we got. Absolutely. You know, and the people who should have protected us did not. Oh, yeah. Um. And so, yeah, I I pretty much I I went to Bible college for a grand total of a week. <laughs> and that's a tale for another podcast. But I came home after a week and I still really didn't like I didn't really want much to do with him. Like they found me a little tiny apartment the floor below where our family lived. Oh, yeah. And, like, I would come up for meals and stuff, but I had space to get away. And, and you coaxed me down there with Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember those days. But at that point, too, like, dad didn't bother me a whole lot. Like, he didn't, you know, I didn't run into the same situations I had before. And, you know, we'll get into the story. and We've already told it, but we're going to get into another podcast that, you know, There was a point where he did get very physical with me and my boyfriend at the time, unbeknownst to me, did what every adult should have done and told him what was going to happen if he ever laid a hand on me again. And he was serious and dad knew it. Good for him. And I want to say that's probably the I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but in my knowledge like that, I think that's really the first time that anybody was deadly serious with him. Like, you will not do this. I will take care of this if you do.
1: I do know there was one time, and I really don't know when because it wasn't me, but one of our sisters um, slipped up at school and people got involved and it could have blown up. I I don't know the specifics at all. I don't know how they got away with it. But it got swept under the rug. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. But I know that, that it got serious for yeah. a couple of days. That was at public school, right?
2: Yeah. Okay. But yeah.
1: When our when our mom was like a normal person and sent us to public school and then like the church freaked out. Well, it's not like
2: she could afford to send us to Christian school. I mean, at one point, our dad lost his job. He got laid off. Even if she could and then absolutely refused to go get work that could possibly coincide with any of his practices or church times. Oh no, he can't do that. And that made it extremely difficult for him to get employment and I think maybe I'm wrong, but if memory serves me, I think for a little while he really even wasn't really looking because he didn't actually really want to go back to work. No. He wanted to do this full time. No, he was very selfish. Yeah. You know, the shame about that is he's talented enough that if he'd had enough ambition in him to actually do the work, he probably could have played piano full time. He was that. Oh,
1: he he got offered. Do you did you ever hear about that? Uh, I don't. It was before you were born. No. So I don't know. I can't remember who it was, but mom was telling me one day uh, some touring artists asked him to join them. Oh, wow. And he decided not to. I think she might have been pregnant at the time or something, but he decided not to. And uh, the rest is history, I guess.
2: I-, I can't remember how many people told him he should submit to be on the Gaithers. Mm-hmm. It's about the Gaithers, that's a whole other story. Like so many people. Well, she would have. So many people, and he could have. Like that's the biggest part of this. Like, and uh, our lives would have been a lot better if he had. He totally could have. Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I. You know. From that point on, like, I think a lot of the stuff that I did when I came home from Bible from um, (laughs) my one week at Bible college really was a direct correlation of being not just being done with him and being done with pretending like it was all okay and being done with, you know, everybody equating me to his daughter when that was about the last thing I wanted to be at this point. Right. But also I had failed everybody's expectations by coming home. And so I just was like, well, the heck with that. Like if I I can't live like this and if I'm just going to disappoint everybody, if, you know, by living my own life and doing what I know is right, because I got down there and immediately knew I wasn't supposed to be there. Like and I couldn't put a finger on it. I just immediately knew I was not supposed to be there. And so many people thought that I was just homesick. They thought I wanted to come home from my boyfriend. You know and those things were true i was very homesick and i did miss him but that's not why i came home like i came home because i got down there and i was like what am i doing what am i doing like i don't really know anybody i can't get around i was in a dorm house with a couple and they were nice enough but they were getting ready to go back out on the mission field in russia within the next year and they put two other russian girls in the house and so this couple wanted, to, reasonably so, wanted to practice their Russian and the culture. And so, like, I was in this house with people talking Russian all day. Oh, my God. I didn't know anybody. Like, I don't know Russian. And I, like, it was the loneliest thing. It really was. I didn't know anybody. I had no idea how I was going to get around. I was scared to death, get a new job. Like, I don't know what's safe and what's not safe. Right. You know, and I just knew it. Like, I this is not for me. I can't stay here, you know. But, I mean, that's just kind of... The hard thing is, is like the things that you, the silent things that people don't say see when you grow up that way and when you have that mindset of your, your, your reality of what praise and attention and love and the difference of those things are, how damaging that is mm-hmm. to grow up feeling like you always had to meet everybody's expectations to be accepted and loved. You know, I struggled a good portion of my life with not feeling good enough. And a lot of that is tied up in dad, but some of that is also tied up in the situation we were in and I don't, you know, I can't pretend to know what's in everybody's heads or, you know, it may upset people to hear that and maybe they would feel bad and I, you know, I'm a big girl and I've done a lot of work and I'm okay um, now. But that's the reality of that situation. And I mean, it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't grown up or had that mindset for any extended period of time what that really feels like. To it was always works based. It was always driven by performance. And the crazy part is, is that the situation like over and over we'd hear it's not by works. It's not by works. But yet any acceptance that I got, any praise that I got, any positivity that I got, a lot of the time was tied up in performance and works. Like, well, I think, too,
1: part of it is, like, at the end of the day, and this is maybe debatable, but I think, obviously, the goal of a church is to bring people in and to win souls. But I think there's also a little bit of an underlying, like, the more people, the more tides.
2: Some Churches are like that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Like I think that's part of what happened there, where what they wanted and what needed to happen were different things. And so they just yeah,
2: what with what they wanted, yeah, and I mean, the music was beautiful, but it, you know, the cost to us and to our family was anything but beautiful,
1: and I think now there are people that were involved then that would agree with you and do feel bad. and there are some people that were involved, heavily involved that deny that it ever even happened, so. <laughs> That's
2: nice. Yeah. You know, I, it's hard to say, you know, those people, I just, I forgive them and move along because it's not worth it to me to give them that space rent frame my head And it's not hurting them any mm. for me to carry that. It only hurts me. So I, you know, it's taken me a long time to get there, but, you know, at the end of the day, yes, I forgive them, but... Also, the remnants of those thought processes and the way we grew up. Like, you know, I'm doing a lot better now and I've come a long way, but the reality is I still struggle with it sometimes. Like, and I don't know that that's ever going to fully go away because it was so fully embedded in who I was Mm. that it's, you know, it's been challenging to separate that from the reality of the fact that I am very loved. You know, and that's not based on anything that I have done. You know, I have a husband who loves me despite the fact that sometimes I'm not a nice person, (laughs) you know, and that's okay. It doesn't it doesn't go away just because I disappointed him, you know, and he doesn't stop encouraging me just because I had a bad day and I didn't do things the way he thought that I should. You know, and that's... You mean he's a normal person? That's what healthy looks like, you know. <laughs> what? So is it because he's a normal person? <laughs> he's not an abusive jerk face? It's that simple. Uh, listen, he's not perfect, but neither am I, you know? Nobody's perfect. Yeah. But I, I have mean, to ask,
1: though. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, I know at some point you ended up uh, trying to make peace with that, and for a while before he died, you kind of achieved that. Uh, what made you decide to do that?
2: You know, it's interesting because as as awful as he could be and as awful as things were sometimes and as insecure as he made me feel, there was always that part of me that wanted my dad to love me, mm-hmm. that wanted a relationship with my dad. I always wanted that. And so it came to a point where I try, like, I just realized that the only way I'm going to get this is to do it on his terms. And I don't like that. And it stinks. It sucks. But, you know, if this is what I want, then this is the only way I know how to get it. And maybe that's not the healthiest thing. But at the time, it was my only option. And so I did try. And, I, you know, God bless him. Unbeknownst to me again, there were multiple occasions that my husband went to him and said, listen. Like your daughter wants a relationship with you and I don't understand what's wrong with you, but stop making her chase you. Like if you want a relationship with your daughter, then you need to start meeting her and or you need to just get the heck out and tell her you don't want one because I'm I'm done with this. And it happened a few times. Not surprised. A few times that he went back to him and was like, get it together or get out. Basically, like I'm not going to watch my wife beat herself up over and over and over again, trying to win your favorite and affection if you're not interested in giving it. Mm-hmm. And also, you won't be doing this with my children. So you can figure it out or you can exit. <laughs> like, um. And so, you know, I have to give him a lot of credit because I feel like a lot of the relationship I did get to have with dad was in large part because Tim knew that mattered to me. Right. And so he like went out of his way to ensure that in some part that I was going to get some closure either I was going to get a relationship or I was going to get closure on the relationship one or the other but I wasn't going to have to keep chasing chasing and chasing and chasing right you know and I did like a lot of it still was like on his terms but there were things that we came to enjoy together Um, we did end up doing music together yeah Um, we ended up I had a good good friend um she had written a lot of music i had written some music and we were given the opportunity to go record in nashville and you know she came and asked me and said can we ask your dad because she knew a little a little not i don't think she knew nearly as much as what i'm telling here but you know and i immediately said yes because of course Who else do I know that could play like that on an album that, you know, and that would be such an amazing experience. And we did have an amazing experience. We truly, truly did. You know, so we did connect on that level eventually in life. But I mean, looking back, I worked really, really hard to be good enough, you know, and I enjoyed every moment that I got. But, you know, I'm not delusional in thinking that if I had stopped doing music, that we would have had that in common and we would have had those experiences. We wouldn't have. I came to love football, which was something that, like, I I feel the same way about, or felt the same way about sports that you did about NASCAR because, <laughs> I mean, we're talking the 80s. We're talking the 80s, guys. We had one TV in our house. (laughs) One. And if the sports game was on, dad got the TV. That's just how it was. And sports game. Dad participated in sports about the way he participated in our house. There was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of swearing. Just bad memories. Unless the game was going well. If the game was going well, it was great. Did did he swear? I don't remember him swearing. (laughs) Yes. Maybe I blocked that out. Oh, my gosh. There was a specific game. It was a Celtics game. And it was back when Robert Parrish and Larry Bird and Kevin McHale were on the team. So we're definitely still talking like 80s baby style guys. And they were not, the team was not playing well. Like, it was awful. It was bad. Like, me who didn't know sports, even I could look at it and be like, this is terrible. You mean it was the Bruins in this last series? He was yelling. Oh, my gosh. I'm surprised the neighbors didn't knock on the door. Oh, my gosh. Well, it wasn't uncommon for him to be screaming. Well, fair. But, like my grandmother could have made that shot and like just yelling and screaming and yes there were swear words involved and i can't remember which ones he used but i distinctly remember there being swear words involved wow so like you know but he was in a if they played well he was in a great mood <laughs> you know? uh, well that's just like everything else in life if it's an inconvenience to him or he doesn't like it it's a problem otherwise it's fine right and if if it was going his way it was great So, you know, for a long time, I didn't like sports. Um, And then I had a boyfriend turned husband who taught me how the games are played and explained them to me. And that's the thing that kills me. If dad had taken that time to explain the game, I probably would have enjoyed it more. There we are again, though. He just expected me to pick up on what was happening. and I didn't understand it. And so therefore it wasn't worth it to me. You know, I wasn't invested enough in sports that it the same way I was with music to make it worth it to me to try. So I just didn't, you know, try. And so, I mean, of course, now I'm just ridiculous about sports. <laughs> we both are. And I'm the one that after a Pat's win that I want to watch Center because I really, really, really want to watch the ESPN guys that hate the Patriots have to talk about us winning like that just <laughs> thrills me. <laughs>
1: Those days are behind us, unfortunately.
2: Um, not totally, but it's gonna be a while. But anyway, yeah. so like we connected around that, though. Yeah, I think actually, you know, we went to game. We he didn't have cable. Yeah, you know, after our parents divorced, that kind of bounced around to a few places, and he ended up at a um apartment where they didn't have cable, and so if he wanted to watch the game, he had to figure it out. And so we always had the game on, so. He had a standing invite to come over and watch the game, and he often did, you know? And that was something we bonded around that I I it just boggles my mind. We probably could have had so many more memories around that if he'd had just taken the time to explain it to me then. But it's a it was a lost opportunity. There were so many lost opportunities. I think that's the thing that really just bugs me the most in terms of dad, like there were opportunities there and they're just gone. Hmm. They're gone. Like, and there's no getting them back. Things that could have been different that weren't. And, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, you can't live in that. But we bonded around that. We would watch the games. I took him to a Sea Dogs game. In fact, I think it was the last Sea Dogs game before COVID that I even went to. I went to with dad. It was when most of my clan was camping, and my daughter and I took him to the Sea Dogs game. Um, and we had a great time, you know like when Dad was sick, somebody very generously gifted us pass tickets and we took him to the Pats game. So like I, I you know, I can't honestly sit here and say that all of my memories with my dad were bad because in later in life, I have some really, really good ones. But I also have the lifelong you know the baggage that comes with growing up the way we did in the situation we did with a parent who refused to take the time to get to know us and to entreat us and to treat us the way we should have. And, you know, on some levels, I really feel like they did dad. a. They didn't just do us a disservice. They did dad a disservice by not getting him the help he actually needed. Well, it wasn't just us either, you know, because we weren't the only family like that. Well, no, they did us a That's what I said. They did us a disservice huge in that, you know, but they also did him a disservice, too, because we don't know why he was that way. We honestly don't know. You know, certainly he he was enabled by the environment that we were in and the culture that we were in. He was very enabled. Oh, definitely. But on the other hand, like sometimes I wonder if somebody had taken the time when we were kids. Oh, yeah. To show him how to be instead of just going naughty, naughty, but never really having any consequence. You know, like sometimes I wonder if he had actually been forced to go to actual real therapy, what? Right. But you can force someone to go that doesn't force them to try. No. But on the other hand, like, I don't know. Like, did he even know? Did he even know how to be a good husband and a good father? Like, did anybody ever teach him that? I don't know.
1: Even if they didn't, I think there was some, like, obviously this is just me and I'm not a professional at all, but I think there was something very deeply broken in that man. Oh, for sure. He, he could not. I don't think he was capable
2: of being a good person. People don't act like that unless there's something wrong, broken. Wrong. There's something wrong. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's very, like, we could have turned out that way easily out of that experience. We really could have. Well, and he, he displayed the ability to
1: be kind and to be charismatic. When he wanted to, Uh which just reinforces for me that he did not give a single care about us. He didn't care. He cared about what he wanted, and that was it, what he could get from you. Yeah. He can go to your house and watch that game. And I feel so bad hearing that because I know, like, I just know how deeply you wanted that love from him. Yeah. And you deserve that. And nothing you could have done would have made a
2: difference. It was not your fault. Thank you. Like, there's there's nothing you could have done. You know, you said something to me that really helped me a lot after dad passed. Because, you know, even up until he passed, like, he was so stubborn. So stubborn. And I spent a lot of time at his place. And yet he would want to be alone so much. And I wanted to respect that. But at the same time, like, I would sit there and think, I'm wasting this time. Like, I know I don't have much time left and I'm wasting it. Why am I wasting it? But I'm wasting it because he wants me to waste it. Like, and so I felt, and, and you know, at the same token, too, I missed my family. I was pretty lonely a lot of the time when I was there with him and... Mm-hmm. Because he wanted to be alone. He didn't want to talk. He didn't, you know, and that's okay to a point, you know, but it's it's so interesting because we talked within the last year and, you know, we talked about the fact that even toward the end, he had some pretty terrible things to say. Oh, yeah. To the rest of you. And I couldn't figure out why he would say those things to you guys and never said them to me. And you said something so profound and it just changed everything for me. And you said that's because he knew he didn't have to say anything to you to be mean to you. He knew what would get you was shutting you out. And you were exactly right, because that's my whole life. I wanted that from him. And most of my life, he shut me out. He knew knew what he was doing. And he
1: actually wasn't that mean to me at the end. I can get into this more later. But he was actually exceedingly kind, so happy that I was there. I think he knew that that would hurt me the most Yeah, because I didn't want to be involved for the longest time. And I didn't think he wanted me there. And it goes a lot deeper than that. But he, he knew what he was doing and what buttons to push to hurt each one of us individually Yeah, as much as he could before he died.
2: Yeah, it's sad. Honestly, like it's just really, really sad. <sighs> and just, you know, we definitely have to do another podcast about this solely because it really so much of it was fake. It was so fake. We really do. We have to do an episode like about appearances because I, that was. Yes. I We have unlimited content, I think, with this, honestly. Yeah. But, and, you know, we'll wrap this up. Um, yeah. But, you know, I just want to say in wrapping this up, I want to thank you for that because that insight was so profound for me. And it really did like all that guilt I'd been carrying, I was able to let go of. Because you pointed that out, and I didn't see it, and I appreciate that.
1: I'm gonna cry. <laughs> don't cry. <laughs> I'm, I'm legitimately starting to tear up. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know what to say.
2: <laughs> You're welcome, I guess. But well, I don't think there's anything else to say. That's you know, kind of a capstone of my story. Certainly, there's a whole lot more in there, but. We're limited on time and we don't want you to be here forever. So yeah. you'll hear more bits and pieces of both my story and Karen's as we go forward. Um, but that is a starting point to my story and our time as children of greater grace. Mm.
1: And I think a good way to wrap this one up, I mean, obviously we'll include like... uh just trigger warnings and descriptions and hotlines and all that in the in the text underneath this podcast but i think a nice way to close this one out would be to actually play one of the songs oh that you and dad recorded together oh that's lovely yeah so i'll i'll get that i'll get that queued in and we'll play that to, to lead us out okay um but as always if you want to reach out to us it's uh children of grace podcast at gmail.com you can like follow subscribe whatever it is that
2: you do on whichever platform you're on you know and if this podcast meant something to you or helped you in any way and you want to share it um, or leave us a nice review um, we would certainly appreciate that Um, share with your friends share with your people certainly email us like karen said if you have any questions or if you think we're getting something wrong because you know our memories we understand are limited and we want to get it right as best we can except when it comes to our dad you're probably the one that's wrong <laughs> I'm so sorry but we will be gracious in our response to you <laughs> we will be very nice but we will also ask that you be gracious in your response to us well um, yeah alright let's, let's play some music let's do it
0: Lord I come and pray. I'm hurting and I'm such a mess Again Beaten, battered and abused God, I feel so overused Again